0: I had a very strange childhood. had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story.
1: We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. One of the most asked questions I receive from both patients and doctors is about nutrition, how we eat. It seems the science constantly fluctuates and new research on specific foods contradicts yesterday's research. Seriously, take eggs. Do a quick search of, are eggs good or bad for my health? And you'll find a series of articles that outline the good and the bad. How is anyone supposed to make sense of it is beyond me. So what are we supposed to do when it comes to nutrition? Well, my guest today is going to try and answer that tough question, As a registered dietitian, integrative nutritionist, certified health coach, yogi, and a Theta healer, she has a diverse and well-rounded background. That's precisely what I believe is needed to start to break down such a complex subject. This is the story of holistic nutrition with Ella DeVar. All right, so we are here with Ella DeVar, and Ella, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: I'm so honored to be here, and to be able
1: to share my story with you. And that's what it's about. It's about sharing stories, your health, your story. And your story started in another country, in Russia, correct? Yes. And you came here when you were young. Can you tell me about that? Growing up in Russia with organic farmers, as I understand, very different rural Russia. Yes. Coming to America, because I know I have Eastern European parents. I was born in New York, but they came from Warsaw, Poland, and it was a different upbringing. It was a bit of a shock for them. They always tell me to come here. And, and it was definitely a different culture and a different diet. Everything was very, very different. And that change was difficult. How was it for you and kind of what led you to move from Russia to America?
0: You know, through my um, life, I've gone through so many transformations. And um, by now, I've uh, established myself as not only as medical professional, but also uh, my personality. And what I've learned is the emotions are somewhat similar, like in many different, um, even though, like, for example, you say I moved from another country to America. For some people, it's moving from Iowa to New York City. It's the same feeling. So I've actually, and the reason I'm telling you this, because I used to be embarrassed of my family and of my upbringing of I grew up poor with these people who like grew their own food not because they were trying to save the planet because they couldn't afford buying food right and I used to be ashamed of that and now because I've worked with so many people and I see how people feel the same way especially in New York when you're surrounded by so much wealth and you have and you compare yourself to other people and you realize like, you don't really have much to be proud of, right? Until that we come to this level of, mature, emotional maturity, then we realize that actually, our story is what makes us special. And this is how we actually connect to people. So yes, I grew up in the suburbs in Russia, in a small town that's not even in the world's map. And my grandparents, they um, lived in the village. So I lived in somewhat of a city, but they lived in the village. And all summers from like May, like my summer breaks from May to September, I would spend in the village helping them because the summer is the most um, abundant time of, uh, you know, the produce and the, the things that you need to take care of. You know, I was taking care of the garden. They were growing everything from all types of root vegetables, from green vegetables, from to cherries. And like they've had, they had it all except for like maybe wheat, you know, wheat was more of a, you know, um, agricultural um, grain that they would like buy. But everything, and they had animals. So they had everything from geese, um, chickens, pigs, cows, and I had to take care of them. And then when the fall comes and the winter, you know, the Russian winters are long, like I saw the entire like life cycle, right? I saw how old vegetables that I would plant in the spring and take care of and take, you know, take the bugs out and water it every day. And then how all of that will get turned into, you know, pickling and fermentation process so we can have something to eat during the winter. So to me, it all made made sense from practical stance. And same thing with all those animals. I would see those animals that I would take care of all um, summer long, you know, like, Taking them into the, the fields and bringing them back home, and then I would see them being slaughtered. You know, so again, so the family has something to eat during the winter when there's nothing around that you can, um, you know, like go into the garden and pick up your own fruits and vegetables. And there's no, I mean, there's a supermarket, but people didn't rely on supermarkets for their food for the produce. And that instilled in me deep appreciation for this type of living. And I kind of like, it, it made sense to me, right? So moving to America and the, getting this degree now and talking to people about healthy choices. Like To me, it makes sense that my friends say that I have a PhD in practicality because it just doesn't make sense to me that at all time, 365 days a year, we have access to everything that's available in the world. We have tropical fruits available in the middle of the winter, right? We have fresh green veggies available during the winter time, right? And we have access to steaks and meat, again, all year long, right? But if look at it so i wrote um when i studied and i wrote a a paper on uh, a history of mediterranean diet and i studied what people ate in biblical times right and that and why we have those rules in religion you know the people in the spring they fast there's lent right and basically if you live in harmony with nature there's not much food left by springtime. You know, when you have to like produce more um, food, it's like, there's not much left. Therefore, people become vegetarian during Lent or they fast uh, like Muslims in Ramadan, right? It just makes sense because otherwise you just can't survive, right? And here we just, you know, take things out of the context and trying to apply it. And people are so confused. That's why for me, Uh, how I educate people is bringing more harmony into this way of living, right? Seeing yourself, how we're created and seeing yourself outside of this context of this society and big cities where people are utterly confused and have no idea like what to put in their mouth because they just don't have that connection with the food, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because everything you said there about appreciating the sources of where your food comes I feel we've completely lost that, at least in most modern cultures, because we literally go into a store, like you said, any time of the year, you have everything available. And then, you know, I've traveled a lot and seen how other people eat, and it is much more seasonal. It's what's available in your local area, and you appreciate that. And you also go and see how other people live, like you see, say, the butchering of things. You gain an appreciation when you see that of where, how much work goes into it. And how fresh it should be when it's locally, you know, killed by a butcher and everything that goes into it. And I feel we have no association with our food anymore. It is just in a box, it is just on a shelf. No one cares where it's from. No one cares how it was grown almost. And we've lost all appreciation, which is part of the problem with our diets. Now, you coming from that background and coming to America, was that a shell shock when you came here? And saw the American diet because it was for me. And I tell this story a lot that like you you used to go into my cupboard, Eastern European, Polish like parents, and it'd be like nuts, grains, maybe some Nutella. And that was it. And you go into an American pantry and it was just like Halloween. It was amazing. My (laughs) eyes lit up and I was like, wow, you guys eat this like daily? And it was just chocolates and chips and cheetah. Everything you wanted was in there. To me, it was a shock, but luckily, I grew up in the other pantry, and I think that kind of translated into a healthier, you know, upbringing. But how was it for you?
0: It was very similar. Yeah, growing up, I did not have access to sugar and sweets because that's not something that you you're able to make every day, right? That's something that you have to buy. So for for my family, that was only something that they they, they would like indulge in on the holidays, right? So for me, New Year's Eve. That was the biggest holiday. That's when I would like, it's actually still as associated with um, uh, Coca-Cola. That's when I only have <laughs> access to that, right? Not Never every day. That was like a special treat. And same thing with everything else, uh, you know, like cakes and sugary sweets and treats that would only be on a special occasion, which happens like, I don't know, six or seven times a year, right? For our birthdays of a family member. And then moving to America, yes, the abundance, right? The abundance of choices and the accessibility and um, the prices—that it's everything. It's like anyone can afford, you know, the iced tea, the any beverage, and this society. But I'll be honest with you—I was. It wasn't a shock. Mm. I came here very young, at 19 years old, and I was very open-minded. And my goal. I, um, the next seven years was to assimilate and become like one of these people. Like in my mind, I was like, this is my new home. And I wasn't, um, judging, I wasn't bringing my own culture here. I was like, I left Russia and I left everything there. And, and mind you, I didn't like growing up in Russia. I didn't like that, that environment. And to be honest with you, like when, when my family was like picking potatoes at, uh, you know, in the, in September, at the end of the season, I almost like, I was I despise them. I was like, you guys are all losers. You can buy this stuff. You know, you don't have to, because that's very, uh, you know, it requires a lot of energy, right? And you spend all days in the field. And I was like, instead, you can just like take a hike to the supermarket and buy it all. You don't have to slave and, you know, for food, right? For the basic needs. And in my mind, I was very, you know, smart. And I was like, you can buy this stuff and allocate your energy towards something else. Right. So move, leaving Russia, I was leaving this scarcity mentality and like this poor uh, you know, environment. And I was like, I'm going into this new world of abundance. And I also, mind you, I came here alone by myself. So I created this whole thing. It didn't happen to me. I made it happen. Right. So when I moved here, I took total responsibility. I wasn't judging this culture. I wasn't saying like, oh, that's not how we do it there. Let me tell you. No, I was totally so grateful and like totally able to absorb it all and become one of these people. So the next seven years, I ate like Americans do. I became like, that's how I ended up on Wall Street. Where do you go when you're a young immigrant (laughs) in New York? You go to Wall Street to make a living, right? And I got rid of my accent, I studied, I uh, received multiple degrees, I took theater courses, you know, and I really, like, absorbed it all, the culture, the food and everything. Yes, I gained weight. <laughs> yes, yes, I um, eventually... Became uh, sick and tired. You know, like I found myself uh, on Wall Street eventually exhausted and fatigued with all types of health issues, uh, whether it's like skin issues, digestive issues, insomnia. Um, you know, due to high stress, right? All of these things that's like, you know, living the American dream, right? And, And the price that you pay for it, right? I've experienced it all. And, you know, I began this interview saying I've gone through a lot of transformations in my life, right? And because I was able to totally embody that experience now, like when I talk to my clients who still work on Wall Street, I don't tell them like, oh, Look, you're doing everything wrong. Let me tell you how to do it. Look, I've been there and I like I used to live that lifestyle and I understand what it feels like, right? And just because, you know, my upbringing is different than yours, it doesn't mean like I'm somehow better. It's just that, you know, I can share my knowledge with you and that's why I feel so fortunate and so grateful for the ability to share myself, you know, and inspire people with my story to either create changes in their lives or Uh, you know, motivate people, educate people with my knowledge to take responsibility for their life and create uh, small changes in their diet uh, on their plate and therefore change the way they feel.
1: I mean, you came to America, you embraced America and America gave you a lot, but it also got you a little bit sick too. You're, you know, forthcoming with that. And can you go into what some of those issues where you talk about skin, but can you go into some of those issues and how you dealt with them and and even where you are today with those issues.
0: Yeah, the number one was weight. At first, Mm. I did gain weight, right? I was like a bigger girl. And then I was like, wait, what's happening? Because I was just overwhelmed with the abundance of food and the portions, right? I'll never forget (laughs) my first portion of American salad. I was like, what is this? A do-it-yourself salad? Why is everything so huge? There's like a huge slice of tomato, huge lettuce leaves. And I was like, you know, the Eastern European salads, like everything is, uh, or like a French cuisine inspired, right? Everything's cut into small pieces pieces, served on a beautiful plate, like aesthetically pleasing, right? No one cares about that in America. It's all about value, providing value. Nothing tastes better than excess, right? (laughs) (laughs) So... And when I saw that plate of salad, I was like, what am I supposed to do it yourself inside my plate? And those portions, yeah, at first, I mean, it was exciting for me, especially coming from, uh, you know, a poor uh, childhood. I was like, wow, this is amazing. There's so much and a lot and there's a lot of waste. I didn't even think about waste at first, but like I saw the amount of waste that would go in, um, you know, like when you like consume so much. And uh, to me, this was, you know, this is how people lived here. And this is how I should be, right? Because I want to be one of them. Of course, I gained weight and then I ended up on Wall Street with a high stress job. Yeah. So, Then I kind of like, I was smart. I was exercising every day, right? I would wake up at 5 a.m., go do some martial arts or kickboxing workout or some, uh, you know, HIIT workout and then show up at the office by 8 a.m. reading my New York Times uh, or Financial Times. And this high, like in my mind, I was actually, by that time, I lost a lot of weight. I was vegan. I tried every diet because I did a lot of research and reading. But nothing was helping because there's a whole different set of problems stress is the number one problem in that in that uh, point of my life because I have re- I, by then I have already lost weight and I was already size two but in my mind I was fat I was one of the like I work with models now and I realized like I wanted to be size zero all right and now I'm like remember like now I'm size four and I'm very happy with myself right? I'm looking at my pictures like oh my god I was like so good looking, but in my mind, I didn't see myself that way. So that's why I work with people. And it's mostly on their mindset sometimes, right, they come in with these issues. And what they end up feeling, sometimes it's not necessarily what, um, you know, the, the number that changed, but the way they feel that's what my approach is all about so for me yes i had skin issues i was making a lot of money working on wall street and then on the weekends as i would say i would go to doctors office and spend all that money that i'm earning like to all of these doctors uh, expensive doctors on park avenue you know all types of dermatologists gastroenterologists like I, I couldn't understand why can't i lose weight and become size 0 right i'm already fasting i'm vegan. I'm not eating. I'm depriving myself of so much. I'm so disciplined, but this is just not happening. And then this dietician happened to me, this lady who changed my life and now I am her. So I flew to Miami and I did this test. It's called food sensitivities and intolerances test. And that there's something about that task, and that lady what helped me is to understand. She basically said the same thing it was like avoid gluten, avoid dairy, do the elimination diet, avoid you know, yeast, I avoid alcohol, sugar, all the basic things. But somehow, because this knowledge I received, not just you know, from some expert, I basically received it from my own body, right? She was showing me the lab test of all the antibodies uh, uh, that showed up like for the food sensitivity, not food allergies, but food sensitivities. Somehow that gave me this empowerment. It's like, that, that's what I do to my clients now. It's like, this is your body talking to you. Don't listen to me because I went to NYU and I read some smart books and I'm like now able to interpret it for you, right? Listen to your own body and follow that feeling. So since then, my, lo- my life has never been the same. I uh, you know became super health um, obsessed, but not like in some um, idealized way. Oh, just because everyone else is vegan, I'm going to be vegan, but I'm going to do what's right for me. That's why I, I specialize in personalization of a diet now. And um, yeah, since then, it's been many years, maybe like another seven years. Yeah. And I've become that woman. I became a dietitian and a diet expert. I studied clinical nutrition, holistic nutrition, integrative nutrition, and now able to uh, approach this um, in this you know, integrative way.
1: It's incredibly empowering when you start to understand your body. Right. When you start to understand everything that's going on, because without the information about what's going on, you feel hopeless. You're looking for what is wrong with me. You're always outside. asking right outside yeah. mm-hmm. and you're seeking that. And sensitivities are a really interesting uh, you know, issue that we see a lot at the clinic and, and almost every single child today has a sensitivity of some sort. And I think, you know, and I want to get your opinion on this. I see it as two pronged. I see it as number one, the quality of food has gone down. So you're talking about things like gluten sensitive. because gluten has been around forever. Celiac disease was, you know, very uncommon, but now you're seeing gluten in heavily processed foods, things that are incredibly hard to digest, have tons of preservatives, tons of chemicals, and that alone will cause the body to go into an autoimmune response to it and, and start to get into an inflammatory response. But there's another interesting one that I've, I've heard a lot about from different dietitians and doctors, and that's having stress while you're eating. So, let's say in a child, they're sitting down to eat something, they're sitting, and the family, the mother and father start to get in an argument. It gets very heated, and the child goes into a very sympathetic state like it's you know trauma, and the body sees what it is placing into it as causing the trauma. Yeah. So, therefore, next time that child has that food the body reacts it has a cellular memory and it reacts that way i mean it's it's part of the reason i think so many people say sit down and eat in peace together yeah. you know don't watch something stressful like the news while you're eating because your body first off digestive capabilities go down you go into a sympathetic state you need to be in a parasympathetic state to truly digest yeah and you start to have that sort of reaction to it so I wanted to ask you as someone that, that recognized these sensitivities, do you think that was ingrained genetically in you and you're predisposed and there was nothing you could do? Or do you think that's something that came about because of stress and some of the diet? Thank
0: you for mentioning it. Stress is the most underestimated factor in the healthy living and healthy lifestyle. People come to me, they think I'm just going to give them a list of things to eat and to avoid. But that's why you and I are working in integrative and innovative medicine because we understand the connection between the two. And how you frame that and you brought it back to me, to my sensitivities. I only recently with my uh, coaching uh, group coaching clients shared my story, my health story, right? So I was 16 years old when I was diagnosed with digestive issues. I had gastritis, an inflammatory condition of, in my stomach. And that was all because of stress. I grew up in a family where my father was very austere uh, in the way he was bringing us up like soldiers. You know, what did you do today to become better? I'm grateful to my father today that he instilled this uh, sense of discipline and hard work in me, but it was extremely stressful. And to this day, I vividly remember a day when I came from the clinic And I had more medications on the table laid out for me than my grandmother did. And I sat there and I cried. I literally felt like my mother, I'm sorry, my grandmother was like, I don't know, in her 50s or 60s at a time. I was like 16. And she, you know, I would always see my grandmother taking medication, right? And I was like, oh, my God, like I have more than she does because I was so confused. There's the one medication that I had to take before food, one that I had to take, the, uh, you know, like before I go to bed, one after food. There's all this. And I was looking at it. I was like I was whipping and I was crying. I was like, I, I don't want it. Why, why is this happening to me? Right. And it was all related to stress because of my uh, you know, upbringing was extremely stressful. There's a reason why I left my parents' house when I was 18 years old. And it wasn't because it was all like, you know, butterflies and flowers, right? <laughs> I was um, looking for better conditions. But, like, yes, it definitely affected me. And when I moved to America, actually moving here, I remember I had a huge bag of medication with me, everything related to digestion, nothing that I knew about. I was 18 years old, and you know, I was just taking everything, like whatever I could buy, like uh, uh, the pharmacy or the doctor gave me all types of medication for better digestion. And then i stopped taking it in america somehow like you know there's different um settings different environment and i got married i you know it was different the family environment i stopped taking it but then eventually when i come to full well, you know the full circle and i've experienced the different uh, set of uh stress factors from work yes i could really see and i and i talk to my clients i have clients from you know like from finance world that come to me with this bloating and after six sessions that we do together right Even there, they realize it. And, you know, I talk to them about mindful eating, right? This practice of mindful eating. I'm a yoga instructor and I practice uh, meditation. But the point of it is to bring it with you and create this mindful living, right? Don't just like, like, same thing with exercise. The point of exercise is not just like, Carve out like one hour a day to exercise and just sit for the rest, like nine hours, right? And same thing with meditation. Just because you meditate twenty minutes in this peaceful, uh, beautiful corner, it doesn't mean you solve all your problems. If all day, every day, you're yelling and you're like in, in the fight or flight response, right? So, bringing uh, this into your lifestyle and creating this mindful living and mindful eating is one of the aspects that I talk to my clients, and a lot of them do see the difference when they implement it. And some of the um, digestive issues, such as bloating, a lot of people think they want to lose weight, but they need to get rid of the bloating, right? And that has has a lot to do with uh, mindful eating and how people eat. You know when they eat too fast and when their mind is racing when they're just swallowed or don't have time to eat and then binge eat at night all these things when we create more balance between our mind and body. There's so many issues that go away. And same thing with sensitivities. Yes, our body just uh, goes into autoimmune response with A, all the chemicals that are in our food right now, with all the food manufacturing that's being created for profit, not for our health, despite what the marketing label on it says, right? It's good for you and enriched with vitamin D, you know, all these popsicles and um, all the crappy cereals, right? That some people still buy for their kids and a uh, number two is yeah it's the stress and how people are now treating food how food consumption has become you know a source of either entertainment or maybe like for some people it's either bothersome you know some people are so you know busy with other things in life they, they wish they didn't have to eat and when they eat their mind is not present right?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important what we eat. There's no doubt about that. We can't say it doesn't matter what we eat. But I think it's even more important, completely overlooked, how we eat. We have to eat in the right state of mind. We have to chew our food more. We have to savor it. We have to really kind of have that connection with the food. You know, there's a diet, the Viva Mare diet. I don't know if you heard of it, Dr. Mare from yes, Austria, right? From your Yeah and um you know part of that is just chewing at least 50 70 times each bite you know to and sitting there in complete silence and i think this sounds like torture to most people because they're like you know i just you know what i call, call it no no
0: no no not torture you know what i call it i What's tell that? my clients like make love to your food oh, you know, right. every- Everybody you make take it you,
1: like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that that's what that's what I do. The gamification process, yeah. make it exciting. I always tell my clients, bring sexy back into the kitchen. What's sexy? The sexy is vitality, right? This energy, like like we used to associate food and eating with like especially home cooking, the one that's actually good for you, right? right. We used to associate it with like boredom. Like who has the time for that? That sucks. It doesn't have flavor to. it But now with so many people realizing that home cooking, a you know aids and digestion and your weight loss, right? And B is like so much uh, better for you. And it's, you know, uh, cost um, effective. And now with the, especially with the pandemic, people realize that home cooking is the only way of living, but how do you make it exciting, right? How do you bring emotions to it? And that's what I tell them. You're like, realize how exciting it is to optimize your metabolism you have all the tools right and and as you said you know how people eat it how they cook it and how they chew it all of this it's all about the mindset right it's how you approach these things if you think about it something that's just like boring or if you think about it it's another opportunity to experience pleasure
1: <laughs> well we are hedonistic of course so of course we want pleasure and and that's, that's amazing that you're able to do that, especially with food and not doing it in the quick way of just running out, grabbing something, eating it very quickly, and continuing in this downward cycle. But part of that, of course, as you said, is mindfulness and and kind of clearing some of the belief systems that you may have towards food that, that have gotten into the poor relationship many have. And I know you talk about theta healing and and it's a really interesting practice can you go into that and explain what theta healing is
0: so in my practice, I first started coaching, health coaching, around like seven years ago. And then I did it clinically. I was a health coach at Mount Sinai. And then I received my clinical degree and became a dietitian. continued counseling on health and nutrition-related topics. And this is when I started to see the pattern that people think all they want is a meal plan, just tell me what to eat, just tell me what to do. And it is, you know, something that I could provide for them, right? Uh, you know, the supply, uh, supply and demand chain, if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. But what really produced um, a lasting, long lasting result is the change in their mindset. And that's something that's not easy to do. And then there are subconscious beliefs, right? So at first, as a coach, I was able to, you know, offer a different perspective, you know, opportunity to look at things different. That's one thing. But then there's the reoccurring things, like when you know, when you wonder, like, why is the bad things happen to good people? And then you're like, what how did they manifest that? So theta healing is something that I've been fascinated, I've experienced it first on myself. And um, I started practicing more meditation, even in my package, you know, for my clients, we do meditations, you know, visualizations on how they want to feel and where they want to be six months from today, right? For them to set their goal and, in motion and like start doing some, find this motivation from within. But what data Healing offers is really, it's a meditative practice where we first talk and realize what's the biggest fear. What's the biggest thing that holds people back? And so, most of the time, it all boils down to like three things, uh, three or four things. It's the fear of not being loved, fear of not being accepted, and uh, fear of being, you know, criticized, being not like everyone else. So we all, deep down, like you said, we're like, uh, you know, hedonistic uh, creatures. We're looking for love, acceptance, and um, some sort of pleasure, you know, even though, you know, we might not look like look like it, especially when we live in the big cities. And it looks like it's all driven by achievement, the income and all those things. But deep down, if we really, then like, what are we doing this for? It's all to deserve someone's love. And, you know, there's a lot of different things, but like what, this is just a, this is an example I gave you. And then when we understand that, we're able to, like, during this meditative practice, I'm able to give this feeling to these people for them to, like, see themselves clearly, to get to know their subconscious mind, right? And even offer some change, you know? So uh, most people cry during that healing because it goes deep and um, those fears uh, come to the surface. And I'm someone who's able to hold space and uh, offer that healing and uh verbally first and then and, like uh, communicate that feeling to uh to make people um to make themselves feel so like, like so they can elevate themselves to the next level. So and that is much deeper than just nutrition and a lot of things like you see like even the food, right? People come to me and say like they want like some kind of food uh, you know recommendations, but what they want is to have some sense of control in their life, right? That they have power to create change, to control something, right? And this is, and the food is just a tool that they're using, right? And I give, uh, sometimes I'm able to go into this, um, you know, into their uh, subconscious beliefs, most of them are limiting beliefs, and provide that healing, and suddenly that alleviates so many issues related to, you know, all these minor things, um, that food-related or, you know, like, Weight related. Like even for me, remember how I said I was going to, I was in my, my, man, my mindset when I was size two and I wanted to be size zero. In my mindset, I wasn't good enough. Like I wanted to be different. Like in my mindset, I was trying to prove myself something that I'm lovable. And that's what Peter Healing done to me that I'm size four right now. And I'm totally lovable. <laughs>
1: It's incredible how many you know belief systems we have in the subconscious that we have no clue that they were constantly playing over and over and sabotaging us over and over. Yeah. And that is the, why isn't this happening? And everything I'm doing is right. And a lot of the times, what we see is that you have that negative belief system that's deep, deep down there that you don't even recognize and you need to clear that. So, I find things like theta healing, other spiritual practice, ho'oponopono, trying to clear that right as incredibly important. Whereas most people, they come, you know, at least to our clinic, I'm sure to you, and they just say, "Give me what I need to eat. Give me any pills. I want an IV, and that's it." And they don't want to dive deep into that because it doesn't sound like medicine or it doesn't sound like science. When you say you have, you know, deep subconscious belief systems, it's just "Ah, my belief is that I want to get better, right? So. How do you address that when people do that?
0: It's also not socially acceptable. You know, like, for example, if you were struggling with some health issues, right? Where do you go to heal your subconscious beliefs? Right? To, to a therapist, to like to what, to a shaman, I don't know, right? So it's not, so that's why I hold a lot of compassion to these people. And that's why I work in six, uh, you know, three, uh six sessions, like three months program. Like I get to establish this trust and rapport that people get to know me and able to open up because, you know, going into subconscious beliefs requires a lot of vulnerability and that's scary to open up like this to a stranger or like i don't know you why am i going to talk like that's much easier to take what you know pay your money and walk out and you know be strong and be responsible for your health right and a lot of people never go into subconscious because it's too vulnerable and they're not taught you know the childhood environment like never taught them to you know that it's it is actually safe to be vulnerable and a lot of people live in this um You know, believe that vulnerability is weakness, and don't go there. Just be strong, uh, act strong, and you know, hold it together, (laughs) and and just you know, survive through it. And this is how this mentality eventually leads to um, a mentality of I'm sure you you know how people get older and they get sick, right? And They don't want to do anything about it because that's what they associate aging equals sickness or disease, right? And it's like, well, that's what happens. That's what happens to my mother. She got diabetes, right? That's what I'm going to get. And this this disempowerment that's part of, you know, that's how society uh, works right now. That's how all the medical facilities are thriving. And that's why. I quit uh, my master's program at NYU because that's where I was taught to just be part of the system. No one's like, even like me, clinicians, you know, like when I was uh, being trained to be part of the system and being part of the NYU hospital settings, and I was going to the dean, I was like, what about prevention? What if I want to help people who are not, uh, you know, already like uh, like post-surgery and have people who are not at the position of, you know, not being able to make decisions for themselves but a dietitian has to walk into rooms like this is what you got to do like i know you don't you got to listen to me right what if i want to empower people and create change in their lives before it's too late right and i didn't get answers that's why i dropped out of the program and i applied four times for those who being disencouraged i applied four times to get into master's program and only to drop out So I, I'm licensed. I, I've gone through the uh, dietetic program, but I didn't need the master's degree after my name because I didn't want to be part of the system that encourages um, these, uh, what, what is it called? Like sickness care, you know? Oh. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, it's the health care. It's when you have your health and you care for it enough to create changes before it's too late, right? But when it's sick care, it's when you only start to care when it's already in the state where it's almost like, you know, you just got to manage it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's disease management. And, you know, it's not only that the medical system and establishment doesn't even want to answer those questions when you ask about those, it's that they'll shun you. They'll basically say, well, you're crazy. Like, this isn't medicine prevention. Like, how do you do that? We deal with sickness and we deal with, and they just drill it into you. And that's that's the problem with medicine is that it's not open-minded. It's very this is the right way, this is the way we've always been doing it. We are normalizing disease. You're gonna get sick when you're older, but we have a pill for that. Don't worry, I'm here for you when you get sick. And that makes someone, oh, okay, it's okay to get sick when it's really not. Sickness is terrible. Ask any patient after a while. They will do anything to have their health back. But when you normalize it through the system, well. That's what you get. You get a society that is sick because you've normalized sickness as, as you age. And I have to say, not even as you age, as you know, sometimes at a very young age where you're going to have to live with it forever. And I do think it's a huge crux in what's happening right now and a huge you know, downfall of modern medicine. But another one that I want to talk to you about is the idea of personalization. You know, Most of medicine is generalized protocols. It's blanket protocols. What is your diagnosis? okay, here is your protocol for the whole population of people like you. Not at all giving into we're each unique, we're each different, why we're here even, and why we have these symptoms is completely different from the next person with the same exact symptom. So, you know, we love to focus on personalization, individualization, tailoring each individual treatment to each patient. But I wanted to hear how you do that with your clients, because always, that level of personalization is a little bit different from each clinician and each uh, you know professional. So, how do you go into your levels of personalization with clients?
0: So, my mission is to provide education, and I'm the type of leader and expert that wants you to be your own leader. Like, mm. don't do it because I tell you to do it because you want to do it, right? And that's why I am writing a book on how to become your own nutritionist. And I have a course for people, uh, the group coaching course, and obviously one on one, where I provide all this knowledge to my clients of all the things that they can be and should be doing for them to feel empowered enough. It's like actually, and then when they imply and they, they, they try, they, they're trying to do it, right? And they're applying all this information in their life, they're actually feeling the difference. and, with that, they're feeling empowerment to be able to make decisions for themselves. So it's no longer about, oh, just because Ella told me, that's why I'm doing it. Or because like I read it on Instagram, like my doctor told me, I read this book, right? No, I'm doing it because I know what's good for me. Like I know what's out there, like veganism is out there, keto is out there, right? And I know what's right for me. Right. And I don't do it because everyone else is doing it. I'm doing it because it's right for me and how it makes me feel. Right. That's what I call personal responsibility for your health. And that's why I'm just, you know, like just because I'm a nutritionist, it doesn't mean I know what's like right for you. I could like guide you towards the direction. Like that's why I do the elimination diet as my number one tool. Right. There's people who are not allergic to lactose. And they, they, you know, they don't have anything that's like shows that they can't digest uh, lactose or casein, right? But like they do better with that same thing with gluten sensitivity, right? There's celiac and then there's gluten sensitivity, all right? And they tell me like, I just, you know, I keep feeling bloated. I keep feeling, you know, fatigue and lethargic. And then when I don't eat gluten, how do you feel then? And then you're like, oh, it's not because Ella told me never eat gluten. It's because I feel better without it. Right. And when I do eat it, I take responsibility for how I feel. Or when I overindulge. Right. I know that my blood sugar is trending high and I know my insulin is rating high. Like, I know I can't expect weight loss and that's just it. And that creates this like lifestyle around it. Like, you know what to do. Right. You're educated and empowered enough and, you know, light happens. Right. No one's perfect, even just because I know everything about diet doesn't look like, it doesn't mean like my diet is perfect. You know, I travel, you know, things happen. I try my best, right? But like having that compassion combined with intellect and knowledge is what I give my clients to be able to personalize their diet. But of course, I provide them all types of testing and, um, you know, the information that they need to consider before they give up meat, right? And never eat meat again. right. I was like, this is my job to tell, or same thing about fasting. And If they want to prevent uh, inflammation, right. It's my job to tell them about the best approach to fasting and it's their responsibility to tell me like, this doesn't work for me for my lifestyle right now. I was like, okay, but you know it. Right. And if not today, then maybe next month or like next year, when you're like ready to seek responsibility, you might want to tweak some things in your lifestyle to make it more, uh, you know, uh, friendly to your healthy um, habits.
1: Yeah, I think this idea of intuitive nutrition, you knowing your body knows Mm -hmm. what it wants. If it craves salt, there's usually deficiency of sodium of other things. And and your body is actually craving it for a reason. I think it becomes really difficult when you've eaten like crap for a long time and you've literally gotten addictive to some of the bad things, right? Like kids love sugary things. That's not intuitive eating. That's literally their brain craving a drug that is sugar that is refined sugar, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you need to separate the two. And I think what you're doing is empowering somebody to be able to do that and recognize what is good for them and to understand not to listen to the influencer on Instagram that did it their way, because it's not going to be your way. I hear too many people that just find someone big and latch on and I got to do it this way. And then, oh no, I'm still bloated. Oh no, what happened?
0: It's also the, um, the intellect uh, level, right? So when I lived sure. in New York, I dealt with different clients. Here in Florida that I moved this year, it's a little bit different here. So yeah, I provide a lot of education around uh, things. And then, um, yes, there's such thing as that people just want to learn from me, just practical advice. And people come to me like, don't give me options. Like, I can't <laughs> make a decision on my own. Just tell me exactly what to do. And there's such a thing as like meal planning. And what I, uh, you know, part of my uh, book writing, I created this 28 days meal plan for women. You know how you said, uh, you know, there's some people that don't, they can't even understand what's good for them anymore, right? Because they've been eating like crap. And I literally have to come in and it's like, okay, this is what you got to do. Like, don't think anymore. Just do what I'm telling you. Right. And then provide them the food shopping with all the organic ingredients and all the things that they never buy, all the green vegetables and this meal plan specifically for women. Because, as you said, like there's different factors, and one of them is hormones. Mm. I have a lot of female clients that come to me and they talk about discipline. One week, I'm so good. I'm eating my green juices and green salad. I'm so good. And then another week, I just can't, like, you know, like motivate myself to get out of bed and I'm just doing this. And I studied, you know, like I worked with doctors and I know how hormones and how, uh, you know, affect our well being and how four weeks of, of a 28 day cycle are not the same. And there's some, uh, some weeks that we could fast and we could eat less. And there, are there are other weeks that we need more fats and more grounding foods when we're ovulating and we're producing all these hormones. And that's what I've uh, able to provide, but that's also requires a lot of education around it. but that's something that brings a lot of peace and uh, removes a lot of stress for women when they see how, oh, it's actually normal that I don't feel the same week after week. And if I fasted and I did so well one week, it doesn't mean I'm going to be doing the same thing the next week, right? And like zooming out, and being able to see how it's not day after day that you're supposed to, be. you know, consistency, right, produce the results. And that's what they teach us about success, right? But that might work for male body, but not for female body. So consistency in your 28-day cycle is a different approach. Like, you know, taking all these things into account, in addition to everything else we talked today, <laughs> uh, is very important.
1: No, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And I I do agree that a lot of people like to harbor and and really focus on the micro. That one day that they had that was off and suddenly everything's wrong and suddenly panic comes in and suddenly you fall back into those bad habits almost because of one day, which in the macro is, is you know a grain of sand on a beach. That's really what it is. And I think people in general, especially if they're healing, if they're taking on anything That's going to come at a natural rate, meaning change comes at its natural rate in the body. The body needs time to change to, you know, uh, uh, to regenerate that needs to be looked at on a long-term basis. This is not a sprint. None of this healing, you know, changing your diet, all of that. It's a marathon. And I think that that's part of it too. Setting expectations, right? I think medicine, your expectation is take this pill. You'll be fine in five minutes. Don't worry about it. that's it. Oh, you have pain. Here's, you know, here's a pain medication. Oh, you're better? Good. That's very, very short term. And you look at the long term, what we're talking about, you have to step back and look at the macro and provide that. And like you said, I think a lot of times there is this overwhelm, so much information out there, like we mentioned, so many influencers saying, do this, do this, most of them being paid to say, do this, do this. And then you have just an abundance of information at your fingertips with your phone. Does your book that, and that's the Driven Woman Wellness book that's coming out, right? Yes. Do you make it easier for people to figure this stuff out? Because I think most people are saying, as long as it's a little bit simplified, then I could probably do it. But out of the overwhelm comes hesitancy, comes this sort of, I don't know what to do. It's too much.
0: Look, in the last six or seven years, I studied uh, integrative nutrition, holistic nutrition, Clinical nutrition, right? So I've kind of, and the reason is, as I tell my coaching clients, right? Do you think I did it to solve your problems? No, I did it to solve my own problems because I'm a foodie. I love food. I love talking about it. I like cooking. I like eating. I like to overindulge sometimes, you know, I'm a human too. And all these things, um, you know, that I studied, I kind of like, you know, because I also have a PhD in practicality, quote unquote, like I kind of like, (laughs) was able to boil down all the essence, like, what do I need to know? Do I really need to know about veganism and, all, and how it's going to like solve the, uh, you know all the problems in the environment? Yes, but there's so much more to it. So I'm kind of like, I'm able to argue both points, uh, no matter who I'm talking to. And the book is all about providing this practical advice and set of practical knowledge and steps that people can take, like all the things that they need to consider before they completely give up a a whole food group or like a whole thing, right? And and, uh, go into the deprivation mode, things that they need to consider to become their own nutritionists, you know, these are the things that you need to know that at some point in life after menopause, when you're not ovulating, when you're not able to give life through your body, maybe veganism is, is a better option, right? But when you're thriving and your body is ready to produce life every month, there's a lot that goes on there. And those hormones, they require protein and fats, right? And veganism might not be the best option. And it's my job to let you know, right? This is just an example. Like I'm not trying to like hurt like anyone's uh, uh, choice, (laughs) but like, it's just one example that I, um, give on all these things that i want to communicate for people to make decision on their own once and for all solve this problem stop arguing with other people about their uh, you know food choices just because you're vegan and i'm not it doesn't mean i'm going to tell you what to do with your life right you made a decision for yourself and i made a decision for myself and we're able to respect each other's like choice and decision right but that's what usually uh you know like happens with people when they like trying to figure still trying to figure it out just because i decided 3 months ago to be vegan you should be too i'm sure you've heard those oh, yeah. um, those opinions oh. and i was like okay but now as a medical like as a medical and diet professional i get those things thrown at me all the time. He was like, you're a dietitian. You eat that? Who are you? And I was like, look, I've worked with so many people who changed their mind. You know, like one year, they're this, they're like standing next to Bloomingdale's in New York and like yelling about like, about animal rights and all that. And the next year they're like cooking steaks for me. And look, I hold space for those people with a lot of compassion and I've seen it all in my practice. Right. And I'm able to make an educated intellect, intellect driven, um, Decision for myself and for my clients. And then this book is just something, you know, what happens to our us practitioners when we are like sound like a broken record and we repeat the same thing over and over again. And somehow I want to be able to put it out there for people who don't have access to a live conversation with me.
1: I really like that. I think we need more compassion in nutrition and diet because I think it's just all I see <laughs> when I look on, like social media or elsewhere, is just the bashing of foods that you aren't eating in your diet. Like right now, it's like I love Dave Asprey, I love him, but his attack on kale is just like I get it in a sense, but it's like it, it let it go, let it go, my man. <laughs> like kale has its benefits, as does everything. I feel like uh, you know that comes from nature, and and it may be bad for some. Sure, I understand that, but we have to be able to say what's good for you doesn't mean it's good for me. Of course, we understand chemically-based things probably aren't good for us. More processed foods and more of these you know, really poor quality foods aren't good for us. But if we focus on quality and we go through and we really understand ourselves, we'll find a diet that's right for us. And that's really what it comes down to. And a lot of what I'm hearing with your intuitive, like nutrition and what you're doing, what you're in the Can up. I
0: add something yeah. about social media and compassion? Yes. Please. People, people are throwing their opinions, and the sharper, the edgier it is, the better. And I'll tell you something that what I've learned through my studies: compassion and healthy balanced eating does not produce a ton of profit. Oh no. When you're selling <laughs> balanced diet and you're selling education, like there's no marketing plan behind it.
1: But there's, It's not sexy, right? <laughs>
0: yes, there's sure a lot of marketing professionals and marketing um, budgets allocated towards some kind of uh, an approach, whether it's keto, avoid this, whether it's Atkins, whether it's um, anything that's like cutting edge, that's like sh- like hones into like one aspect and completely removes the others if you notice like all the uh, diet books right the ones that like the loudest that sell the most right, they always you know saying something that you should be doing right and the rest is wrong just wrong right meanwhile all the like med- some of the medical professionals who are not doing that what are they selling education and balance the balanced diet what? Like you said, like, that's not sexy. Like, and people understand that. And even I come to this point, like I always tell my clients, you're lucky I'm not selling you anything right now, but like, I'm cutting to this point. Like, look, I need to produce income, right? Like I need to be telling people love it. Like I said, most people love to be told what to do, right? It gives them this like whipping that's like, don't do this, Do, (laughs) do that, right? Forget balanced eating, just do what I tell you. Right. And that's what, um, because, you know, the world that we're living where this, you know, we have the billboards of medical professionals on them selling their services, you know, come to me, I'll get you this surgery. You can do whatever you want. That's actually one of the sh- biggest shocks I had in America. When you're driving the highway in Florida and on the billboards, you have a certain sur- like a medical professional advertising their services. And that's what happens a lot of the
1: times. Everyone's pushing something. <laughs> that's, that's... And
0: another thing I was going to say, do you see a lot of, Dieticians that are like loud and clear and selling some kind of a diet and some kind of a book. No, it's most of the times a lot of doctors, you know, doctors yeah. who are not even trained on diet sure. and they learned about uh you know how it affects your health and they you know hired the marketing professionals right and now suddenly they're selling this grain brain and they you know vegan or like any vegan there's so many doctor um cardiovascular uh doctors and like surgeons that like talk about vegan diet just because they see how it affects the heart right and yeah there's not a lot of dietitians that wrote or, like a very like famous book on like balanced diet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the marketers have screwed things up, of course, because, you know, they they're just trying to sell, right? But at the end of the day, I think people are picking up on this because they're not getting the results, or if they do, it's very short-lived. Listen, I went on keto, it was wonderful for the first 4 to 8 weeks. Then it was terrible, you know, and that was just my body didn't adjust over time. Long-term, I don't think it's great for your gallbladder and other things. That was me, my personal experience. I still utilize some of what I've learned from that diet and every diet I've been through and tried. I take it in, I see how it works, I experience it. So I do hope, and I'm starting to see that people are catching on, that they're starting to learn like, okay, you can't give a one size fits all. While these doctors are respected in some ways, it's not really working for me. Therefore, it's not really that truthful to say, this is how you will eat and everyone that does this will benefit from it. I think people are starting to see through that bullcrap, right, and get to a spot where they're able to say, "I need to listen to someone that's a little bit more unobjective, a little bit more open, and a little bit more balanced." So, I, I do think the trends are kind of switching around now. Everyone's kind of picking up on, "All right, that's a marketing gimmick." So, let's let's move beyond that and appreciate how unique we are, and just take in the education and value from people such as yourself, which is great. Now, we. Didn't meet, but we were at the biohacking congress together in Miami not long ago and heard some great things. I wanted to hear what are your best biohacks that you use on almost daily basis?
0: Um, my favorite biohack is living in harmony with nature. You know, nothing is in nature that's um, done quickly and fast, but everything gets accomplished. All right. So managing stress is the number one um, hack that I use, right? My attitude. And I know how stress affects my sleep quality. When I have this important meeting in the morning that I'm getting ready for, of course, like I don't sleep well that night. All night, I'm just waiting for it to happen to me. Or when I don't, you know, when I'm feeling empowered and when I'm feeling... um, that I I totally got it, right? I sleep much better and I get my crown and my aura Ring scores. So sleep is definitely uh, the second one after I've managed my stress, right? After I've uh, set my mindset in the right uh, tone that I'm like, I'm totally capable and empowered the way I sleep and how it makes me feel. And uh, thank God for aura Ring, it's my favorite, uh, By hacking device. So
1: you do track everything you yes. track through Aura. Okay.
0: I'm a self-quantifier a little bit, but the way I do it and how some of my clients, um, you know, get that information. I track uh, some of their biomarkers, like with, whether it's blood sugar, whether it's their activity levels, But what I do with that is to bring more mindfulness. How do I interpret it in a way that brings more mind-body connection, right? For example, the sleep, we all know we should be going to bed early, but then we have so many reasons not to, right? And when I talk to my client and I have all this compassion in the world to their work schedule, to their kids' schedule, right, to all these things, it's like of course you don't have time to go to bed before midnight right and then they tell me like oh look like i get creative in the middle of the night right this is working for me but then give me something so i have energy throughout the day i was like okay something's not working mm. and and with with this tracking like it's no longer just do what i tell you it's like your body's telling you something and with that interpretation and inside taking that into account Yes, most of the clients are just grateful that I recommended it to them for them to actually like stop thinking, stop thinking logically about the things that you feel and actually like look into how you, what your body is telling you, right? So sleep is my number two by a hack. My other one is nutrition. Yes, I do see how it makes me feel when I just, you know, don't eat my veggies much and I'm just like traveling and like, you know, not able to. Um, do the right thing, like supplement with my green veggies or eat them, right? I see how, uh, like I can already feel how acidic my body becomes and how, you know, how it affects my energy levels, my attitude towards life and things like that. So definitely nutrition and the proper uh, eating is my biohack and um, exercise. Yes. Dancing is my favorite activity. Dancing, swimming, biking, being active. Again, same thing with the energy level. Sometimes swimming and, like, in the water and, like, or, like, you know, in the uh, cold body of water is better than all those energy shots that people are taking or the caffeine, right? That people take, like, three or four cups a day, or taking a dance break my favorite biohack of them all, <laughs> you know, like when you're just in the middle of the day and you're like feeling so unmotivated and uninspired, like meetings after meetings, that's what I do. I just like connect with my body again and listen to it. You know, my body just wants to move. It doesn't want to sit. It's not designed to sit eight hours a day, no matter how comfortable that chair or whatever the standing desk is, you can do it all, you know, but... And then there are some things that just makes you feel happy to be alive and standing bask doesn't solve that problem. you know.
1: <laughs> I found the best biohack, like you said, are the ones that bring you joy, you know, like for, for yeah. me, like that whole idea Emotions. of dancing, right. And emo- like for me, it's like, you know, the gym is one thing. I don't mind it. Like some people absolutely hate going to the gym, dread it. Like, but for me, it's, it's playing tennis. It's getting on the tennis court. I am just so ha- like, I can't wait. Like today at like 530. I hit, I'm like, all right, is it five yet? Is it like, I'm like counting down because I know I just feel so good out there. It's like, I don't even realize I'm sweating and my muscles are moving. I'm running around, like, you know, giving it my all. It's just, I lose myself. Like dancing, you lose yourself. You're just full in a joy, ecstatic state. And I feel like those are the best biohacks. Get yourself in yes. that state, right?
0: <laughs> yes, one of my other favorite biohacks is meditation, right? The gratitude meditation. And this one is comes from Theta Healing, I love uh, how you just described the feeling. You see the biohack that gives you the sense of joy, the feeling that connects you to the feeling part of it. There's the doing, right? The human being and human doing, as we call it, right? There's one that's being and it's like, what do I feel right now? That's being, right? What am I doing right now is the doing, right? It's the mind and body. So connecting with that inner child, because we all have, like we're still, uh, you know, child inside is always inside of us, right? Always. And being that child and that parent to yourself, and this is when you get to feel and you allow yourself to feel, move in a goofy way, right? Or like dancing, doing all these things, or playing on the tennis court, right? This is like totally childish, right? But like instead of like, I don't know, taking another client and making more income and stuff like that, right? There's a lot of people in Manhattan that don't have time to exercise because they work 12 hours a day priorities, right. right? So this is when their parent's side of them tells them like, work, work, work 12 hours a day, don't play, right? And this is when you play is when you allow your inner child to play. And this is when there's more balance between doing and being between mind and body. When you are your own child and your own parent, you're able to get out there and feel and sit down and get things done.
1: I love that releasing that inner child, which is so important, right? By doing that also, we release tension. We're able to play. We get more aligned, I feel like, with our purpose rather than just caught up in the parental side, which is all responsibility and, you know, doing this because you have to rather than just playing because you want to because inside, you know, that feels good and that's going to be such a release and help you so much in the long term anyway.
0: Yeah, and our society doesn't really uh endorse that, just go out there and play. And this is why I'm sure you know in your practice, there's a lot of psychosomatic issues that arise, right? And sure. your body is talking to you and telling you something. Right. Because so, we suppress our emotions when we don't let it out, we don't express them, we don't communicate them, we don't feel out, you know, feel it all out at, the, at this intensity. What do we do? We store them, we suppress them. Mm-hmm. And this is what we talked about earlier about food sensitivities is how those, uh, you know, the stress is gets to, um, you know, what those emotions are not, uh, you know, expressed, they get suppressed. And all of that uh, affects uh, our uh, biochemical makeup and our uh, well being.
1: And that leads to symptoms, which is really your body screaming. And, you know, people say, oh, it's a little sign. It's a huge sign. (laughs) If you really listened, your body would have been whispering a long time to you to change something that you're feeling a little bit off and you suppress that. And guess what? Now it's screaming with that pain here and this there and all these things. Like, so symptoms are not like little signs. They're big signs. They're literally your body has been trying to tell you for a long time. And now it's really going to tell you what this discomforting feeling, which is a symptom. So I, I will say like, by the time you got symptoms, you've been neglecting your body and suppressing for a very, very long time, most likely. So yeah, you got to get I more agree. in touch with them. How can uh, someone work with you? How could they get in touch with you?
0: They can find me on social media and online, uh, my social media at Ella.Devar. And my website is NutritionistElla.com. I um, work with clients one-on-one and group coaching uh, programs that I offer weekly for weekly sessions. We get together in groups and people get a lot of healing from hearing other people's stories and being able to connect with me, but uh, you know, in the group settings and um, yeah, those are the two things. My email is Ella at nutritionistella.com. And I'm always happy to hear the feedback and thoughts and um uh, collaborate and partner. I support uh, organic food companies that are driven by their mission to um, affect this world in a better way, right? And I also support um, organic uh, agriculture and farming. I collaborate with local farmers to be able to provide education and um, spread the knowledge about um, the healthy foods that they grow. And I know how hard they're working and it's my absolute joy and pleasure to support them.
1: And when can we expect a new book?
0: So uh, the book proposal is going into the publishing house this year and uh, next year, within a few months. Yeah, it should be done by uh, mid-2020 too.
1: Very much looking forward to that. And any plans to go back to Russia and do some farming?
0: (laughs) No, actually. Ah. (laughs) My parents actually still do, they still have their own small garden and they're growing all types of berries there and some vegetables and they're doing it all. But hopefully my dream is to do it all here, you know, and actually my dream is to have, um you know, access to have a big uh, garden and to have uh, people's access to my garden that people can come and visit me during the spring and plant their own seeds and then come during the summer and take care of their plants and then come in the fall and pickle their own vegetables and take them home with you. And when you open it in the middle of the winter, it's no longer, oh, my dietitian told me I should be eating sauerkraut, right? Or pickles. <laughs> it's like, I need that. I grew this and this is incredible and it benefits my my microbiome, right?
1: (laughs) It's amazing the benefits of gardening. I've gotten into it. I'm out here on Long Island now a lot more than New York City just because of that to get my hands in the dirt, to see something growing, to pick it and just taste it and have it so fresh. So... I commend you for that. That's amazing. I'd, I'd love to be able to plant a seed you. sometime in the near future there.
0: <laughs> thank you so much.
1: Ella, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate everything you're doing. and Looking forward to, you know, continuing to hear all about all the accolades you were doing and all the accomplishments. So thanks again for coming on.
0: Thank you. It's been fun and such an
1: honor. We've done a really good job at complicating something like nutrition that has no singular answer. I guess it's what we like to do as humans, make things more complicated than they have to be. As Ella mentioned in today's podcast, so much of nutrition is personalized, intuitive, and relies on factors just beyond what you eat, but also why and how you eat it. Be sure to check out Ella on social media at Ella.devar and online at nutritionistella.com. And also be sure to look out for her upcoming book, Driven Woman Wellness, Your Guide to Self-Care. Until next time, keep writing your own healing story.